Today's episode is brought to you by Grinding Coffee Co., a black LGBTQ plus owned coffee business that donates a portion of every sale to charity. Coffee is imported from around the world and they pride themselves on great customer service for a small team. Use promo code PLP22 for 10% off your order. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. The whole gang is here. We are going to give all of our thoughts about what was an actually pretty exciting Texas race. We've got everybody here. Uh, Hickey, you got anything like non-racing related or should we just start the weekend or start the start the recap? I don't know. We, well, we ended last episode talking about prison wine. I don't know. If we Best episode ever. <laughs> I have a question. Shannon will kind of know where I'm going with this one. So oh. yesterday, after I landed in Texas, I went to pick up the dog, and then I went to visit. You'll know where I'm going with this one in a second. I landed here. I landed. You didn't land I don't know where Texas. I am anymore. You landed in Indiana. I landed from Texas. <laughs> And I was going to visit my girlfriend at her place of employment. She gives me an address. I drive there. And it's literally like the intersection up in Noblesville. And I'm like, I don't think you work here. So I call her. I'm like, hey, uh, is this the right address? Yeah, it's definitely the right address. So I'm like, all right. I pull into like a gas station. I put the address back in. It's like go a mile down the street. So at this point, I'm up on 146th Street. Yeah, I I am Holy shit. 85 streets from where I live. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, practically. We are halfway to Walmart. And so I go another mile and now I'm at another intersection. And I'm like, listen, you do not work here. I, I know this, there is literally a Chick-fil-A on my left right now and a CVS on my right. So I, I pull up Google Maps and I'm like, hey, I plugged in your workplace into Google Maps and it says you're 10 blocks away i'm like is this potentially where you work she's like yeah yeah so it was 136th not 146th street so to get there it was five miles away i have one simple question for you guys this is a debate we've had for the last two days is five miles close or is five miles like no i was not close in giving you the correct address if you're talking like I giving you a specific place to go and you end up five miles the wrong direction, <laughs> that's, that's not, not close. close. Not even a little bit. But I need to know how she didn't so know. So it is a the she has switched locations of her in the past sixty days ish, I believe. So um, I listen. I got nothing. I don't. We we stood. I stood having lunch yesterday. Going how the hell? Like you get stuff shipped to your work and like does it arrive? <laughs> <laughs> hickey i told him that he was gonna have to get air tags and then i was like oh womp womp you don't have an apple oh no what yeah, a gave me his old apple watch though i got a good deal Zero. out of it what no, 20 he, bucks yeah he didn't make me pay Damn. wow 
You know, I don't know. Lighting, what do you think? If, if I told you to fly me over Lambo and we got like five miles from Lambo, do you think that'd be all right? <laughs> no, it would not be okay. For those who don't know, Lighting's having a tough week with technology. <laughs> That's why we're all cackling. <laughs> Most controlled airspace okay. at small airports is like a, it's a five mile ring. So five miles, you're not even in the correct airspace. All right. We've settled that debate. <laughs> uh, well, he, he flew me right over Canada. Five, Carter, so I think he knew five, what he was doing. Five miles is two laps short of finishing the Indy 500. So you tell me if that's close. No. Um, it's it's close if you're Scott Goodyear. All or nothing, baby. <laughs> My cousin. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't even think about that. All right. Let's talk Texas. Like Mike said, pretty good race. We will get to that kind of portion of things first. But let's start with some of the main events from the race. Pretty thrilling last lap. We haven't had too many of those at Texas in this new configuration. Scott McLaughlin, who dominated the race, caught traffic at the end, and Joseph made a bold move on the outside of turns three and four to overtake him at the line and win. And Joseph only led three laps, so good for him that you led the most important one. And then... McLaughlin finished second, power fourth. So Team Penske had a very strong day. So what do we make of not only Joseph's wins, but McLaughlin following up St. Pete with another strong performance and Will Power right in the thick of it too for a really good Team Penske day? Well, my Will Power prediction is clearly off to a horrific start, which I'm sure if you looked at the rest of my predictions, they probably are as well. I don't even remember our predictions. I do remember me predicting Roman Grosjean, and so that failed. I also remember me not predicting anything in Alexander Rossi, and that also failed. So I'm not entirely sure what to do anymore. I'm just thinking about how bad the season started off for Penske last year, and this is dangerous given that they've won the first two races of the season. I think they've definitely bounced back from whatever was going on last season. Yeah, I hate to sound like uh, I'm just reiterating what they said on the broadcast, but Given their performance at Indianapolis last year and how much that race means to that team, I don't know if this is a byproduct of them being that frustrated that they performed so poorly at Indianapolis last year or something different. Um, or maybe it's going down to three cars and having more resources focused on just the three entries versus the four. Um, but if I'm anybody else in the paddock right now, paddock right now, I am uh, concerned to say the least, about the run that team might go on. And are we at the point now where we can call Scott McLaughlin a legitimate championship contender for the remainder of the Agreed. season? Yeah. 100%. I, I want him to. I would be super happy if Scotty Mack won the championship. Super happy. And it was also Team Penske's 600 win across their motorsports divisions. So I think everybody that works for Team Penske got a $1,000 bonus for that. And Joseph Newgarden physically got some Benjamins in victory lanes. That was pretty cool. So, yeah, Joseph obviously rebounded after a tough St. Pete. So now I think Team Penske has squarely put themselves in the P1 position for team strength so far this year. All right, Shannon. Go ahead and give your thoughts about how well Jimmy Johnson did on Sunday. I told you he was going to do well. I told you he was going to come to Texas and hopefully do well. And I was right. I I think he did a really good job. 
Eight, sixth is good for, good for him. Where did he start? Like nineteenth? Like it was back there. Yeah. Yeah, he was back there. And to finish sixth at Texas, I will say whatever they did, it helped some. I mean, you couldn't get three wide, but you could at least pass, and that is helpful. But um I now listen, I don't know that this whole like JJ fanfare for the five hundred thing is necessary. <laughs> like Maybe not yet. Let's get a few days of practice in and see what that looks like. But being successful on an oval in which you've driven before. Yeah, I, I agree. It's It was super cool to see him do well. I Every time he talks, I just find myself liking the guy more and more. It's just really interesting to listen to, whether he's saying something to Hickey and I, like, I have no give a shit meter, or listening to him talk about more serious things. It's just he's just super likable, but also I'm a little hesitant, like Shannon, on the whole. Like, is he an Indy 500 contender now? Like, I get it. Like, you're trying to build storylines. It's I understand the reasoning behind it, but also like, it's the 500. Crazy shit happens every year. Like, what happens if he? You know, Will Power was that last year where he qualified 32nd? He scraped the wall and made it in there, and that's Will. That's Will Power. So. Yeah. Yeah, like qualifying it in like first of all you got to get it in the show. Okay? Like you can have you can have a month's worth of practice and be f- okay. You still have to qualify. That's still a giant stepping stone. And then you still have to finish. I'm not saying he's not capable. I'm just not saying I'm not sure he's a win or your first go round, but hey, what do I know? So, I think uh, I'm actually on the opposite side of the spectrum here. I'm more convinced after Texas, and I, I don't think I'm being a prisoner of the moment because at Indy, way more so than Texas, with all of those practice days, you have the opportunity to set up your qualifying car. You have the opportunity to set up your race car. Um, and truthfully, I mean, yes, how strong has Penske been this year? It's been phenomenal. But if you had to look at which team do you want to be running with come the month of May, I still think Ganassi is a clear-cut favorite. And... Given his experience across different forms of motorsports, again, I'm not saying Indies will walk in the park of qualifying, but I think he'll fare okay in qualifying. And I don't think anyone's getting bumped this year, so it's not like he's not going to win. But he's not going to win if he starts 32nd. Uh, and truthfully, I just... Right, like making the field and making the field at 30, 30th even doesn't equal winning. Correct. I would still put my money on the fact that he's going to start with inside the top 15 at this point. Given, uh, I'll go out and let me say that. Write that down, Hickey. Because here's the thing. Like, okay, Kurt Busch had a pretty good run back in 2014. Obviously, we know what Alonzo did when he came here on his rookie year. We're talking, like, you know, the top 1% of talented drivers in the world when we start talking. Jimmy Johnson, Fernando Alonzo, Kurt Busch. Obviously, very different forms of motorsport. But, again, given the amount of practice time they get, although it's very reduced from what it used to be, um, I, again, I'm not picking him to win, but finishing inside the top 10, I think that is clearly in the cards for that team. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm kind of between these two sides because looking at what he did, it's pretty clear that he's not fast over, you know, the qualifying, right? But he's a good racer on the oval for sure. So I could see him qualifying down low at the 500 and then definitely working his way up. So I would not be surprised, maybe not in finishing in the top 10, but 
if he finishes in the top 15 or something, that wouldn't shock me whatsoever. Well, I just want to add one more thing. The other thing is this position at Texas was on merit. Like this wasn't thanks to just some fluky, For sure. you know, pit lane incident. I mean, traffic helped him a little bit, but that's going to be a factor in a 500 mile race come May. Yeah, I think his playbook for the 500 will be very similar to Texas, and they're two different animals, so I don't know how much we can take from the race and apply it, but I think what he's going to do is spend the first 60% of the race kind of just chilling, taking what comes to him, passing who he can, but not like forcing the issue. But I think the most promising thing for me after that race was his ability to use the high line, which is something that even some of the veterans weren't even doing. Uh, you know, Grosjean kind of alluded to in his his post-race interview on TV, and I know it was his first start, but he's like, I'm not going to try the high line. Like, it's, it's not possible. And there's a couple other guys who alluded to that. They're you know, like, it's not possible to pass up there, even though you saw guys like Pato and Kirkwood doing it. And Johnson in his first race is like, yeah, yeah, why not? So I saw him make a couple of brave passes in the outside. And to me, that was the most promising thing that I saw from his, his race. So it's kind of weird to associate Alex Pillow as kind of like the weakest driver at Ganassi on the weekend. That's kind of a weird weird thing that we haven't gotten since Johnson arrived. So yeah, good for him. And it was a very solid day for Ganassi, especially the Ericsson finishing P3. So well done to him. Before you move on to the next topic. I mean, I do agree with you on the Polo point, but it's very scary for other teams when your like weak point finishes P7. Yeah. So definitely a force to be reckoned with on the ovals for sure. Road courses, you know, we know he's still got some ground to make up there, but time is in his on his side there because he is looking like he's having fun. So that's good. All right, let's get to Devlin D. Francesco. Not a great day for Devlin. To recap in an impartial way. The first caution, or I guess the second caution, the first accident of the day was with him and Sato. Sato was outside of Devlin, and Devlin wasn't on the white line as low as he could be, and Sato and him collided, putting Sato into the wall in a very lackadaisical fashion, but enough to cause damage, but nothing like huge. The ensuing restart, restart Kirkwood was on the outside of DeFrancesco, who again wasn't really as low as he could have been and Kirkwood lost traction given the high nature of his line he was higher than what they were even practicing at and spun and crashed and then the ensuing restart again he made it three wide into turn three on Ray Hall who was in the process of passing Castro Neves spinning Ray Hall into Castro Neves and also putting Devlin in the wall retiring all three with heavy damage that's about as nicely as I could put that. Who would like to go for Frenchie? Do you want to go first on this one? Um, I'm going to just say, I guess that given that this was his first super speedway, he's definitely learning. So I'm trying to give him a break for it because he came out and owned what he did and said, listen, I made a mistake and I mean, apologized about it, but I guess, you know, he maybe needed to go through this to learn it. Unfortunately, it was at the expense of other people. I think if we see him do it again, then we can really make a judgment, but I'm going to try to withhold this first time. I mean, I'm all for the, I'm glad he came out and said something and apologized because it shows contrition and that he cares. But at the same time, I don't think to me that gives him a free pass for the multiple ups he had. And I was quite upset seeing the first time with Sato, like maybe I get it, but then to do it again, 
five minutes later on Kirkwood, I think was horrendous. And then the three wide pass was just a terrible lack of judgment. And one of the more stupid moves I've seen in recent years. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he like recognizes it and, and apologized or whatever, but that only gets you so far before it was just a really terrible showing. And it's like, you know, a second start now already, people already have this prefix judgment that he's just this money buying hack who can't hang with everybody. You know, he's just going to be the new, I don't know, insert weapon out there. I don't know who's been the most recent weapon. Sato. Santino. Yeah, he's Renee just the Binder. Santino. So, no, uh, well, even like, even then, he didn't crash people. Every he session. was just horribly slow. Yeah. He's like a respectful and. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah. He's a, he's a nice kid. He's just not where I would think he would need to be. And it's kind of the glaring, you know, flaws against him coming up when people are like, maybe he should do another year of lights or whatever. Unfortunately, it's already coming true. So he's got to get this turnaround quickly before this kind of dark cloud hangs over him for a long time. I would be more inclined to forgive him for his mistakes if he was in uh, more of the winning battle. Right. Like if you're more towards the front and you really thought you had a shot at winning and you made kind of a stupid judgment call, I may forgive you more than that. Um, But you weren't (laughs) like (laughs) you weren't towards the front. And so instead you just wrecked like four people for no five, five for no good reason. And we weren't halfway. Right. Like the moves were not necessary. You weren't in. It wasn't a time in the race in which making that move was necessary. So, um, no attack, no chance. <laughs> uh, yeah, no chance for a lot of people. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I was really bummed when Kirkwood got taken out because he really did have a chance to do something good. I think when, yeah. what did he pass like 10 cars at one time at one point on a restart? Yeah. I mean, that is worth making ballsy moves for, but what Devlin did was questionable at best. Uh, to add to what Shannon just said there, I think what made the whole Devlin thing even more painful for those of us at home is like, I think a lot of people sit back and say, like, damn, Kyle Kirkwood should be in the 29 car right now. Like, that should be his ride. He earned that ride. That was his team. So I think it's harder to stomach when you see what he's doing in the 14 car versus what Devlin's doing in the 29 car. Um, and the roles were reversed. And, you know, I know he's learning. I know he's a rookie. He's his first oval race. But, like, with that, I almost have less sympathy for him because, like, Dude, you shouldn't be playing around, going balls out at 220, trying to learn how to pass people on an oval. Like, if anything, you should be sitting back and thinking to yourself, okay, now is not the time to try this. I need to understand how the car is going to react. I need to understand how other cars are going to react react around me. Um, and it just, yeah, it uh, his race on Sunday didn't sit well with me, although I will say, like you said, Matt, it was nice that he uh, – he did apologize and, you know, kind of came forward with that. So hopefully he does learn, you know, if he does get on him, but just, you know, just a, a bad taste in my mouth following that. 
think not to bring up Jimmy Johnson again. I think it was Jimmy Johnson who said I wouldn't go three wide there in a NASCAR, which obviously is a little <laughs> bit more bump and bang than an Indy car. So, yeah, I mean, I hope he learns. I'm, you know, not going to write off his rookie year yet, but boy, it was that was that was a rough like twenty five minutes for Devlin. Well, and to that, Mike, what what did he think was going to happen when? He went three wide. Did he think like Elio? Who's going to overtake two cars? Really? I mean, that's the other thing. I don't know. You mean like Yarno truly? Because Yarno truly. (laughs) I mean, maybe he truly did think that he could make that pass. And that may just be inexperience or him just thinking he is more talented than he is. Uh, Plot plot twist. (laughs) Devlin DeFrancesco is the nephew of Giarno truly. (laughs) He is. He is part Italian. Okay, can I just throw this out? Two things. Number one, one is a serious oh question. The other one is just an observation. Number one, do you think given another practice session or two, you potentially – no, you don't – okay. That's all no. I needed to know. But, okay, no offense. Dude <laughs> looked real short in his interview when he came out of the medical center. How tall is Devlin D. Francesco? Oh, he's like 4'11". Yeah, he's super short. Michelle goes <laughs> – Michelle goes, Host oh, is taller than someone on right now. And then like the camera pad back and he just walked away and she's like, Oh my god, he wasn't sitting on anything. He's short. I think he's shorter he's than Sato. I think he's shorter than Sato. He's shorter than me. Yeah. Yeah. He how tall five one. He was like a premature baby or something. There's a whole story that he put out yeah, about it that he was born in like seventeen yeah, weeks. Yeah, it's an incredible something. story. Yeah. No matter how short he is, I would never, I would never strap into an Indy yeah, car. Well, now it's yeah. probably an advantage. I like Devlin. Like I like him as a person. I just, he's just a young kid making stupid decisions at the cost of really expensive race. What cars. is he? Twenty, maybe. Maybe I don't even think he's legal. So now we can play. Yes, to drink. And he's <laughs> <laughs> like. Help! Help! In in Europe, he would be legal to drink at eighteen. Okay, Ooh, wrinkled that one out, no problem. Uh, <laughs> well, to kind of segue into his team, Andretti Autosports. Uh, let's see, Alexander Rossi retired right away with the battery issue. Roman Grosjean was P second to last uh, with an engine failure. Uh, Colton Herta somehow didn't get enough fuel at the end or something. Somehow he needed to extreme save, which pretty much threw away his chance at a, a round of P7 finish, which was kind of where he was running all day. So Andretti Autosport, are they really this bad? Herta, first off, had a wheel gun issue where they couldn't get the tire on. And I don't know how, but during that stop, I guess, I don't know if the fueler just was like, yeah, I'm just going to chill while they screw up the wheel gun. But he had to come back in like a couple laps later to, to top off, and that just screwed him over. And to answer your second question, I don't think they're as bad as Texas showed, but they are clearly not a good team right now. There is 1,000% incidents that happen every race weekend that seemingly do not ever get addressed for the next race weekend. So there's absolutely no accountability on those race teams right now. So wherever the screw ups are, no one's saying anything about it come Monday morning. 
and we're just letting it go. Or if there are requests from people, I don't feel like they're being handled. Like, I just feel like it's like, yeah, just go out there. Try to do, try to do your best. Give it the old college try. It's fine. And nothing is getting fixed. Like, you can't tell me that all four freaking race cars on Andretti Autosport, all four things were shit. Sorry, Mike. We're going to have that. <laughs> you can't tell me that they are all shit. You just can't. You, I, I find it so hard to believe. There has to be something inside there that is the problem. There has to be something. There has to be something. A virus. Yes, something. Well, I'm pretty sure this isn't the first time Colton Hurd has been short-fueled and he had a comeback in. Didn't that, didn't that happen? Yeah, it's been like five or yes, six times in the last has. two years. I was trying to figure out which race it was last time. It's like 26% of the time is a pit issue. Yes. Like, Mid-Ohio, I remember last year specifically, he had a big-time pit issue. I don't remember some of the other races, but that one stands out. And I know I tweeted it uh, at, during the race, but like... Uh, like you said, I know Texas was kind of like a microcosm of all the issues they've had over the last two years, and they're probably not as bad as Texas showed. But how in the world are you going to start a Formula One team if you can't figure out fueling issues over the course of two or three seasons? And I know they don't. If you can't make sure your battery's not dead. And I know, yes, yes. I mean, it's embarrassing. That's all. It is. Is you make it sound. You make it sound like battery power is a huge <laughs> issue in Formula One, where you constantly need to be charging your batteries. That never happens in Formula One, right? God, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating because I know that these drivers are good drivers who deserve good well, three race of them, cars. At least. Three of them. <laughs> the fourth will never get a shot if you get behind him. <laughs> I have two things. Number one, isn't the 29 crew the same crew that Hinch was in last year, right? And then also, is it sure the same was. crew that was Marco beforehand? All right, well, so sure that's was. pretty awful. But um, do you think Roman regrets going to Andretti, given how this is going right now? Too soon. I think it's too soon to regret. I feel like that's fair. Um, but I do think he's probably questioning, like, Ooh, should I have maybe not made this move? I mean, I would be... I would be after two. You're supposed to be the top th in the top three. You're supposed to be a challenging team every race. Coming out two races in at no challenges is a freaking problem. So I know, I know you just said it, Shannon, that it's only two races in. The fact that we're already questioning his move. Let's just go back and check the tape from free agency when I questioned Roman's move. So. I'm not going to say I was right. <laughs> we all questioned it. And I said, I hope that they can do something better. I have been on oh, lighting. It's too soon. I've for been that. on this Andretti train since I got on this damn podcast. It's ominous. I'll just say there are bad signs right. it's pointing towards negative things. So. Real quick host and Frenchie, since you guys were there, what was your perception of Rossi's give a shit? Meter? Negative, negative 27. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Before the race, like in the press bullpen, he was just and like I, care. I like genuinely like don't care yeah. about like short answers or his attitude during things. It was a little rough when when you're like trying to ask him questions like that don't need a long answer and you get like nothing out of it. But his 
his give oh shit meter is as low as it's ever been right now. Is that what you <clears throat> is that what you got, Frenchie? Puberty. Is that what you got? <laughs> I'm of age. Yeah, I, I definitely got that perception. I think he's beyond frustrated. And when I was sort of doubting that he's going to move on from Andretti, just kind of being and seeing him in person at the press bullpen was like, yeah, this guy is over his current situation and he just wants to move on. Did you ever think to offer him a crumpet? That would probably cheer him up. I mean, yeah. So, so um, even if he wasn't over the Andrade situation, Alexander Rossi is such a fierce competitor and is so, like, he's he's very much just wants to win, right? There, there are some drivers who understand things happen and they cut, like, look at Jack Harvey, right? Like, look what happened to Jack. He absolutely wanted to race, but he was like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. This stinks. Here we are. Why are you pointing at me? Top five in the championship. (laughs) No, I'm pointing at lighting, but I know lighting wants to talk about this. You know, like he was so laid back about it. And Rossi's just not ever going to be that person. And he's always going to be shitty when things don't go his way. And I don't blame him, right? Like, this is what you want to do. You are in a race car to win races. And when you can't even make it 10 laps because your dead gives you a battery issue, what do you expect? Uh, well, let's talk about Jack Harvey real quick because Jack Harvey crashed in practice, could not race due to medical clearance. And so Santino Ferrucci jumps in and what does he do? He finishes P9. Uh, Lungard had an issue in the race. I think he hit the brush the wall or something and Graham Ray Hall was taken out. Uh, so Santino led the team and Santino is now beating Connor Daly and Alexander Rossi in the championship. But I know lighting had some thoughts about Jack Harvey, um, who is definitely a top five championship contender this year, right? Shannon. Listen, y'all could go <laughs> kick rocks. Okay. I don't know what's happening. No. I thought, <laughs> Listen, I stop faith in Jack. I know the okay. lighting's pissed off and thinks he wrecks everything and doesn't deserve a shot in Indy Lights again. I don't know what you want from no, me, lighting. No, Listen, I don't, I don't know. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. So after, so after his his practice crash, which I didn't see live, so I went back to YouTube to try to search it, and then I found myself in this like just never-ending wormhole of Jack Harvey crashes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Jack yeah. And wormhole. I found this one from Spa when he was in GP3 where he just took out Carlos Sainz uh, going down the straightaway. And it was like, <laughs> holy smokes, that was a thousand percent Jack Harvey's fault. And then I saw another video of him just spinning all on his own at like Zandvoort or something like that in a Formula, in a formula <laughs> BMW. Dying. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was all Jack Harvey's fault. And I was like, huh, he just tore up two race cars in two consecutive weekends. And just after that, I came to this logical conclusion that I was like, man, this dude just likes to tear up equipment, which I'm not saying he's the worst that's ever torn up equipment. What I, what I really was trying to get at, no. You're taking four instances from a span of six years. I know it's not a logical conclusion. However, you know, it's not. I thought you said it however, is logical. However, the... he made okay. his indie debut in what, 2017, I think it was. So five years ago, yes. he made his indie debut. And I know Shank did the kind of like progress into full time, which I think was a really good idea on their part. I'll- 
Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today. Trevor. And I also know he kind of got screwed by some shank strategy calls last year. But, like, at what point does the Jack Harvey rope, like, run out? Like, when does he run out of line? Because I can think of so much. Never, but those luscious locks and those eyes and that jawbone. He can do that, whatever he wants, thanks, okay? Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> That's how it uh, works, man. Shannon, I was told that it was like Jack Harvey. I was told that it was like Jack Harvey. You do. Take it. Um, but, no, again, I, this is nothing personal against Jack Harvey. But it's just, like, I've seen so many other drivers whose leash runs out much sooner. And again, I'm not advocating for it, but I'm just trying to comprehend why his leash has been extended a little bit more than some other. Yeah, but you got Sato who wrecks every week and has for the last 10 years. And where's his leash? Everybody just just lets him. Everybody just gets Sato. (laughs) Two-time champ. Yeah, but he hasn't been, he's been running longer than Jack has, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's first. Yeah, so I mean, that, that Panasonic money works wonders for Sada, but I think Jack's off to a rough start. I honestly forget what happened in the same. Oh, he cut that corner too tight. And Texas, he mentioned to me that he had a lot of understeer mid corner and just it just snapped on him. It's just too. He's he's off to a rough start. I, I think he's much better than what he's shown this year, and I don't think he's like a Sato, you know, no attack, no chance type of driver. But, I mean, it's it's another one of those, like like I said about Andretti's, it's like, not not good, but I think he's better than what he's shown. So, like, I'm, I'm less concerned about Jack Harvey than I am Andretti Autosport. I am in Thank agreement you. with you, host. The Ray Hall cars were utterly terrible before the race. I mean, they were struggling so hard in practice that I can't even imagine what that car was like to drive based on especially what we were kind of hearing in the pits, uh, listening to Jack Harvey's radio, and he just kept coming in trying to figure out what was wrong with that car. So I think I'm going to try to give him a break on Texas. Um, I know I just basically was pretty lenient on Devlin too, so maybe you guys think I'm the pushover, but uh, I, I try to not 
judge on one race um and hopefully we'll we'll see what happens moving forward we need to get frenchy on the next drunk episode so we can get some hot takes out of him uh all right let's do some quick notes uh, no lighting let's get- <laughs> lighting don't you need to like board up your windows or something at this point what? yeah where's the ladder all right because the hurricane three quick notes oh okay <laughs> oh three quick notes uh first of all jr hildebrand had a pretty good day finished p14 however ed carpenter did beat him <laughs> so y'all three can sit and spin not you lighting the other- <laughs> there's four of us no lighting wasn't there to say oval specialist ed lighting i had oval specialist ed beating oval specialist jr and these three picked JR like a bunch of clowns. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that in there that Ed did win. So you, you mean the you mean the three time Indianapolis 500 pole sitter and multi time race winner that you picked over a guy that's never won a race or sat on pole? That is that the is one. Shade. Did you did that you is real see shade. all of that shade that he just threw? I think lighting has like a technology hangover. All this <laughs> technology just raged him into bringing it out on IndyCar drivers. Let's see. Peacock. I was quite annoyed that they did not do a lot of side-by-side. I don't know if the other two views that weren't at the track were watching on Peacock or on NBC. or. Uh, but having just binged Yellowstone on Peacock, I know what their advertisements sound like because they're all the exact same. Oh, here's the new Bel Air show, and here is whatever new oh the the Joe Exotic oh, or Joe versus, versus Carol or whatever. It feels so weird. Like, why that, are we going to do a TV show about that when we just literally watched the documentary? Like, we all know what yeah. happened. What are we- <laughs> that damn Carol Baskin? Uh, <laughs> oh man. So I know what those sound like enough to know when we're just getting spoon fed the same bullshit ad that we get on normal Peacock content, and we're getting fed the same bullshit. So that kind of sucks. So. If they're going to do that, at least give us side-by-side. I know they gave us the post-race interviews and whatnot this week, which is really nice. But, Peacock, can you please give us side-by-side? I mean, we're paying money for this. It's not just, like, lumped into a TV package or anything. Like, please. Was there a hot second, maybe once or twice, where they did not go to commercial and it was all in-car camera? The first stint. Okay. So the first set of commercials. So I thought to myself, I'm like, this, I'm is, like, this great. is awesome. We're not going to have commercials. And then like, I don't know, 15 laps later, I was like, wait, what? was that I was that them. an accident? Did they not mean to do that? That's I, Yeah, that's, that's what I was about to ask you because you texted me no commercials early. And then that's you know, the last... You texted me about that, and then I was scrolling through Twitter back in the hotel later that night, and I saw people talking about commercials, and I was like, oh, I guess, I don't know, maybe Matt got lucky, or like Peacock was different than yeah, than NBC, but my question for you, you guys who watched at home was, so A, was the post-race 30 minutes, because I know like it was kind of ambiguously worded in the press release after. And B, what did you think of the post race coverage? Like, was it was it good? Was it enough? It just, you know, I, I didn't watch it at all, so I have no idea. It was good, but I don't know how long it was. I honestly don't know how long it was either. I don't think it was more than thirty minutes. No, truthfully. but I don't think it needed to be. I think they kind of hit all the the key topics. Like by the time it ended, I was like, oh, I'm satisfied. I heard the interviews I needed to hear. They kind of closed the loop on things that you know we needed to hear. And yeah, I don't know, maybe twenty minutes ish. I mean, I don't think it need any of it needs to be more than 30 minutes for post-race. There's, 
I, I just, I think that that's fine. You, as long as you know who you need to talk to and get that done, then that's fine. Unless it's the 500, right? Like there's no reason to have more than 30 minutes after the race. Shit. We're trying to leave 30 minutes after the race. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, let's see. Another consequence of Devlin's actions we'll say is that McLaren had the worst pit sequence for both drivers at a time in the history of ever. Both drivers were running in the top five. Paddle slid too deep into his box and hit a mechanic that did eventually require a front wing change, putting him a lap down. So definitely ruined his day. I think the mechanic's fine. Last I saw. Rosenquist uh, also, I think he broke his half shaft that stop sequence or whatnot. And so he retired after being in the top five and claiming pole. So uh, not a great day for McLaren. Kyle Kirkwood, as mentioned a couple times in this episode, had a really good day going. And if you didn't see his YouTube or YouTube video, Twitter video that he posted today, Tuesday, uh, he shows his restart where he passes a million cars after the Rossi incident. So scale of one to ten, how are we feeling about Kyle Kirkwood after these first two races? Better than I was before the season started. And that's not a knock yeah. on him. That's a worried about him at Foyt, but I don't know about a one to ten, but definitely more so than four weeks ago. I agree. I am pleasantly surprised by what he's been able to do with the Foyt team. Nothing more for me. Full agreement. Frenchy? Uh, I generally don't like to hop on the hype train about drivers, so I was trying to basically find a reason to doubt Kyle Kirkwood, but there has been no evidence that he's not going to be anything other than everyone has said he will be. So I think I'm going to have to admit that he is a superstar in the making. Did you get to talk yeah, to him? Yeah, we did, actually. I think I recorded a video and posted it on my Twitter. Did you... Uh, <laughs> it was kind of like looking at the news. <laughs> I don't hear it, but I guess we need to like have a poll out there or something to see if you're the only one that thinks we need. This. We need to do like Wait. a tick. We need to do like a TikTok or a Twitter with just their voices, so you you guys can compare. Because Hickey and I are convinced that Frenchie and Kyle Kirkwood sound exactly the same. Really. <laughs> and now, when you hear Kirkwood talk next time, you you will not escape okay, you. Okay, Frenchie, I'm gonna send you transcripts of something that Kyle said, and then I'm gonna you're gonna record it, and then I'm gonna put Kyle's transcripts together, and we're gonna do this. That works for me. Okay. All right, lighting. What do you got uh, regarding Kirkwood, or what, uh, my other grievances? Your your many grievances. <laughs> I'm call Best of it. <laughs> it's just the kind of mood I'm in right now. So. Okay, this isn't a this isn't a <laughs> knock necessarily. This is like, wow, this person deserves a raise. Whoever runs the NBC Sports PR Twitter account, because when they put out the viewership figures for uh, the Texas race, it was nine hundred and sixty-six thousand oh, no. or whatever, it was just shy of a million. NBC Sports PR tweeted, "It's the most watched March IndyCar race on NBC," and I thought to myself. Have there really been that many March IndyCar races on NBC? So I went back and did a little investigating. So 2019, there was no March race on NBC. They were all on NBCSN. 2020, the IndyCar season didn't start till June. 2021, the IndyCar season did not start till April. This was, in fact, 
the only IndyCar race that has ever aired on NBC in March. <laughs> Yet they tweeted it was the most viewed IndyCar race in March on NBC in history. So P1, baby. P1, bless so like up. I said, like hey, I first said, your that last. The ultimate spin, like spin zone, to like, yeah, man, this is a great viewership. Unless there was a race, you know, back in the nineties or that's whenever IndyCar eighties was ever on NBC at some other point. I don't know if they ever were, um, but just a hilarious spin zone and uh, really got really got my funny bone because the best part was they responded to Adam. Why am I forgetting Adam's last name right now? Yes, I'm I was going to say. I was going to say Adam Silver from the NBA. Uh, but yes, they re- responded to Adam Stern's tweet on motorsport viewership for the weekend, like real proud. So that made it even better that it was like a, a reactive tweet. So yeah. this is one of those moments that another reminds me of The Office when Michael Scott buys the world's best boss mug, like best March race ever. Like they just put that on, put that on a coffee mug and, and put it on your on your on your desk next week. I'd buy it. So, with the quality of the race that we saw, with the different techniques that the IndyCar used to get that, we'll say 1.5 groove. I wouldn't say second groove. We'll say 1.5 groove going for the outside of the turns. We saw a much better race. We saw that it was easier to pass. It still is not optimal, but it wasn't terrible. Uh, Attendance was measly, but it's kind of always not really that good at Texas. Do we think what we saw on Sunday was enough for IndyCar to consider coming back to Texas next year? So from a racing perspective, yes. I I mean, it was the best Texas race since 2015 or 2016, whenever that was with the, the close finish there. But from a promotion around the area that the track did, which was, well, nothing, it was zero i mean we we drove all over the dallas fort worth area for a couple days and it's a big area and yeah there's there's i saw one and it was like one of those digital billboards that changes every you know 30 seconds or whatever so it's not even not even permanent i i did hear that roger penske was looking for the track president his name is escaping me at the moment and couldn't even find the guy all weekend, which is really just not a good sign if you're... I agree. Like, the racing was far better than I anticipated. I really went in with really low expectations for the race. So I was pleasantly surprised. However, the amount of people there was sad and depressing. Uh, and and is that because they only sold tickets in certain sections? Because that does happen, and it always makes attendance look super slim, right? Because it was all on the front stretch. But that feels silly. So I don't think so. It was all um, open, it looked to me. Like, nothing was covered or anything. Okay. So, I mean, I couldn't tell. Honestly, they didn't really show much of the crowd <laughs> at all on the broadcast. Because <laughs> there wasn't that any. That makes sense. Because there wasn't any. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I mean, I have friends that live in Dallas and whatnot. And they were like, literally, we didn't even know there was an IndyCar race coming again. Like, so, you looking for it and them living there i feel like well it, and it's wild because like and i know wisconsin's a totally different market compared to dallas fort worth and i'm sure advertising costs on the radio are through the roof but like the month leading up to the indycar race at road america 
you know, you hear the, the commercials on the radio stations on a pretty consistent basis. You talked about the billboards. You see that. You see signs in the Menard stores around here. Like, I don't know. Again, I know it's a very different market, but I live an hour from the track. And even I know, I mean, it's obviously I know because I'm a big fan, but I would know otherwise because of the amount of promotions that they put into, you know, the various mediums around here. Mike, I'm sorry if I interrupted you. No, I... I honestly, I don't remember. It was, I was, uh, it, the, the, the glaring thing was really practice and qualifying day when you could essentially count how many people were in the stands looking up at it. I, I mean, there couldn't have been more than 60 people in the stands. Yeah, Frenchie. I went to the race as a fan in 2019, and that's back when it was in June. And I can say that I, I actually think it was better attended in then even though the weather was so much nicer this weekend because it was in march it was just not as hot but it was it was really sad to just see that no one seemed to know that the maybe the date had changed since it was in june for so long i don't know i did hear that a lot i heard a lot of people say oh we would we just assumed it was in june because we didn't see any advertising so we weren't even looking to look for it yeah i i'd say after the last race with the methods that indycar did with the the 1.5 groove and the additional aero bits. I wouldn't be mad if they came back. So no. let's hope, let's hope that happens. Um, real quick, real quick before we kind of get a, a recap going of like our predictions and whatnot. Were we surprised that more than seven drivers didn't participate in that optional second groove practice? Are we no, you guys aren't surprised nope. that I mean, Will Power did it because it, it was his idea, <laughs> but it seemed okay. So, from a black and white point of view, it really looked like the seven that participated in that felt a lot more comfortable trying that second groove than the twenty-one or whatever twenty that didn't. Fair. So, if they did this again next year, wouldn't it make more sense for more people to do it? Yes. They just they just didn't want to be the oh. guinea pigs. Yeah. Yeah, I get that to assess, but it's like almost like a oh, free yeah. practice session, and it's, it's like yeah, there's definitely risks, obviously, with crashing and not knowing what that groove is going to be like, but. If you're going at like 195 pace, you definitely can learn a thing or two. You're not wrong, but every driver we talked to was like, I have no interest in taking that extra risk. Yeah, I think Pelos said it in our interview with him. And correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that how Power crashed in testing there? He was running that groove? Correct. Yeah, so I feel like after that, you know, I don't care. I'm not tearing up a race car just to try to get a second groove, in, even if it means I'm going to start 11th and finish 10th. Before predictions, host Frenchie, how was Texas? Did you guys have fun? Anything memorable? Anything cool? Frenchie? Yeah, I'm just going to say that host snored like a chainsaw while we were there. <laughs> so <laughs> he had really bad allergies. So I don't know if I go back to Texas, if the IndyCar goes back, that I'm going to share a room with him. We're going to get like some sweet or something like that because... But when I when I stayed with him before, he did not snore like that. This was this was different, and I, I did I did not sleep very well at all because noise canceling headphones couldn't even cover the sound. You know, it. I, I honestly like after the first night, like the first the first day in Texas, I would literally sneeze, sneezed all all afternoon. I was taking my inhaler. I usually take my inhaler once a week. I took a. Th- three times Thursday afternoon when we landed. So Friday morning, I was like, man, I feel really bad. Like I'm, this is just, this is not good. So I went to CVS and bought like four different allergy medicines, 
extra vitamin C. Like I was trying anything to just not feel as stuffed up as I did. And it just did make a difference. Texas, Texas annihilated me. And I was, we were talking to Jimmy Johnson's and Carvana's PR rep. And she was like, I'm, I'm struggling too. So it made me feel a little better that it like, wasn't just me, but it was a, it was a big struggle. And I feel horrible that I snored like a chainsaw for three nights. I'm not saying I know, but lighting does not snore. Just throw that out there. Such a cute bromance y'all have. I know it's whatever. No, I got to recap our predictions. Uh, so for winners, we all sucked. Uh, Shannon had Grosjean, host had Pillow, I had Pato, and Frenchie had Ray Hall. So not good there. Dark Horse top 10. Um, Shannon had Kirkwood, I had uh, Rosenquist, host had Hildebrand, and Frenchie had Daly. Again, not very good. Most struggles, Shannon had Eilat. Uh, he, sur- he survived, but and he had one good practice session, but didn't really do anything. So that's kind of a struggle, but... We might make that a cop-up for the rest of the year because the Yunkos might struggle everywhere. Frenchie at Lungard was doing okay until he wasn't. But they all so were doing I okay th- until we weren't. Yeah. I think, I think I had one New of the Garden. four wheels fell uh-huh. off of his car. <laughs> I had Newgarden. Not not great. Uh, host had power. Not not great. Uh, first out, we nailed. We all nailed. We, like So we didn't obviously get the first person out but all of our drivers did not finish the race uh i had i had grosjean who was second out frenchie had elio who crashed host had elio or sorry ray hall who crashed and shannon had sato who crashed so technically sato out of those crashed first grosjean was the second to retire so we kind of all nailed that one uh and then best rookie uh frenchie wins with david malukas never a doubt in my mind was there though he almost crashed but that save did you see that that was incredible save Almost only counts. That, you remember the Rossi save at Texas? I think it was. That reminded yeah. me of that. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, you won that one, so good job, I guess. Who was our driver of the day? Disappointment of the day, and then we can wrap up. Jimmy. Both. And <laughs> For everything, Jimmy. Uh, no disappointment. Oh God, I'm so on the spot here. I am just gonna go with no, I'm not gonna. No, that's the cop. That's the cop out answer if there is one. Um, I feel like I can't really put it on him, but I kind of want to say uh, Felix just after starting on pole and running so well. Um, I, uh, you guys might know better than I do. So these half shaft issues, does the driver ever have any influence on that, or is that just purely a mechanical thing? Because I feel like sometimes the driver has some influence over that. Yeah, I think if they really ram the gas going out of the pits, they can dump a half shaft. And that's right? kind of and that's kind of what I thought. Yeah. So yeah, I'll stick with Felix as my disappointment because didn't Michael Andretti used to do that all the time? Yeah, Michael and Marco. All right, uh, Shannon. Uh, disappointment of the days, Alexander Rossi. Or the twenty seven camp. Yeah, it's not Rossi himself. It was that damn car and his crew. Um, I'm surprised the day, even though he wasn't, he didn't finish. I'm still going to go with Kirkwood. I, I mean, I was very, very impressed with him more so because he's at Foyt. <laughs> I will take Marcus Erickson as driver of the day. Did not have a good track record on ovals and really just, what do he start? Did he start in the top 10 or right out of the top 10? I forget. Uh, 14. So he started 14th, finished third. I think he led up five or six laps. So 
really solid day. That's like a good championship run right there. My disappointment of the day, Connor Daly with two two pit lane speeding penalties and getting shown up by Renus VK, who led laps, made some brilliant passes. Just just not a just not Connor's day. I'm gonna go actually with Renus as my driver of the day. I I really thought he had that race for a period there, and then he had to save fuel. So, I mean, he, he showed up his Carpenter teammates like they weren't even there. Um, and then for my disappointment of the day, I guess I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to have to say, this is harder because I feel like there were a lot of disappointments in this race. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, where did Simon finish? I thought he was going to do a top okay, 10. Eighth. Darn, that's not that disappointing. No, I mean, yeah, it's disappointing, but like like Lighting said, that's the cop-out. So I think I'm going to have to go with Lungard was a disappointment because, yeah, I mean, none of the Ray Hall cars, I mean, Santino, right, showed that the Ray Hall cars could be competitive. And Did you uh, talk to him? Santino or Lungard? I think we talked Lundgaard. to him briefly, but not, not for very long that I recall. Host didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nothing that was memorable. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Well, I'll take the cop outs. My driver of the day was Scott McLaughlin. Did brilliant. Led 186 laps. I think I figured out that he's now led the 271st most laps in a single season in IndyCar history, but it's only the second race of the year. So he's doing very well. And my disappointment today is Devlin DeFrancesco for causing undue travesties to just certain teams out there uh i guess it depends how you look at it maybe delar is super happy when they showed up to the offices on monday but uh not not the best day for the the, the pr stock of devlin d francesco yeah and you know delar is getting a lot of green just like our best friends at stream evergreen they can buy hey. more crumpets they can buy plenty oh, more crumpets. crumpets i think that's it We'll be back next week to talk about whatever the hell is going on in the news. And Long Beach is in three weeks. See y'all in Long Beach, or some of you in Long Beach. Everybody have a lovely weekend of racing. (laughs) Bye. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.